God is good, and he is good all the time, isn't he? Hi, my name's Pete Hughes. Uh, coming to the end of the first year on the elder board. Um, I think probably it's important for you to know who's talking with you this morning. Fullerton is my church home. I visited on a Sunday evening in 1975, and this has been my home ever since. I... Uh, First came and sat in the balcony of the old church in Malvern. And it wasn't too long after that that I sat in that same seat next to this beautiful woman who is my wife, Sue Hughes. And the rest is history. So I have this church to thank for lots of things. Um, as Carl mentioned, this is uh, Elder Sunday. And what happens is uh, the elder board gives Darren and the other speakers kind of the day off. And gives us a chance to speak to the congregation about things that are important to us that we hope will become important to you regarding God's uh, leading uh, in our congregation. There will be three of us up here today. Myself, I'll be followed by Josh Freeman, and then I'll be, uh, Josh will be followed by Gene Shepard. If you're a Dodger fan, think of me as Mookie Betts, and think of Josh as Freddie Freeman, and then Gene is our Justin Turner. And with the beard, he kind of, kind of uh, fits the part there. Um, over the last year, the Elder Board has been uh, considering how we might, in very simple terms, express what it is that Fullerton Free is to do here on this corner of uh, Bastion Cherry and Bray Boulevard in the city of Fullerton in North Orange County. In California. And it quickly became clear to us that as a church body, our mission here is to reveal Christ. And that's going to be the theme over the next uh, several minutes here. As we'll see, the revelation of Christ manifests itself in various ways, but the first way it manifests itself is Christ being revealed to us. Who God is, his will, and his mind is not something that in our mortal understanding we can comprehend. We need some guide. We need some source for God's leading, for God's understanding, for understanding God's will. And we have that in our Bibles, the inspired word of God. Different writers, different styles some poetry, some narrative, but it is all the inspired word of God. Think about that for a second. God has revealed himself and the way that he has revealed himself among others, but the principal way is through his word. We interact with the word in a couple of different ways. One that we're probably most familiar with and that we're uh, uh, engaging in here today is having somebody speak from the platform. That person goes through uh, an investigation of the text on his own and then comes to you with an explanation and then hopefully some application. Now, there are other ways that that can happen as well. You can see, and I've uh, engaged in this, of course, myself, seeing some great teachers on TV, uh, listen to a sermon or a podcast on the radio. Um, so there's different ways. But however that happens... That is someone who is 
looking at the word and then kind of giving it to you, feeding it to you, as it were, rather than our feeding ourselves. And when it's coming from somebody else, oftentimes it can be colored by or influenced by what you think of that person or what you think you know about that person. And God desires to speak to us directly. He wants to speak to us and have us discover what his will is for us in intimate, individual time with him. The teaching that we may get from the platform, that's important because it is a common point of reference that the congregation has as the shepherds of the church tried to lead us forward with different initiatives and whatnot. But there is very much an imperative that each of us become familiar with God's word, that he can speak to us through his word, that we can understand his mind through his word. That's the way we grow. And he promises blessing and reward if we will do that. So on the few minutes that I have remaining here, we're going to look at Psalm 119. Now, that may be opening a Bible or maybe swiping on your phone, and there, some of these, uh, these verses are going to be up on the screen. It's a Psalm of David. It's the longest Psalm at 176 verses, and it's the longest chapter in the Bible. We are not addressing 176 verses this morning, although I think that'd be kind of cool, but then they'd have to provide lunch and we wouldn't have the meeting. Um, the Psalm is filled with encouragement to seek God's word, to find his mind and his will for us through his word. We're going to start at verse 10, and we're only going to address seven verses this morning. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Now, just in that section right there, we have commandments, statutes, testimonies, precepts, all different words describing God's word, his revealed word to us. Note, if you will, in uh, verse 10, with my whole heart, I seek you. You may have a translation that says, I have, oh, excuse me, excuse me. With my whole heart, I seek you. Now, when we come, we are seeking God. David is seeking God here. And he's doing it with his whole heart. This isn't something we do half-heartedly or, you know, whatever, let me just get through it. If you really want to understand God's will for your life through his word, you have to come to it with your whole heart, with your whole attention, with your whole understanding. In verse 11, it says, I have stored up my word, excuse me, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, that stored, you may have a translation that says treasured. 
stored or treasured your word in my heart. The idea is that we have something valuable and we're putting it in a place of safekeeping. That valuable item, God's word. And the place of safekeeping, that's in our hearts. In Colossians 3.16, it's also referred to as, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It becomes part of you. We study God's word, and it just isn't here today, gone tomorrow. It's here and stays. In verse 12, blessed are you, Lord, teach me your statutes. Now, this teaching, it's not somebody just gives it to you and you're done. There's an understanding to it. Think of it, perhaps, as not just ingesting something, but digesting something. That you take it in and you mull over it. You consider it. God wants to teach us. He wants to explain. Teach me, Lord, what it means and what you are saying to me is the sense of that. In verse 13. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. When we've been taught... We want to be taught to the point where we ought to be able to share or to teach. We are called to be witnesses to the power of the gospel. Gene is going to speak to that a little bit later. Engaging in God's word gives us the knowledge of the truth that we are to share with people. It's going to be very difficult to talk about the gospel if you don't know what the gospel is. The gospel is in God's word. In verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. The testimonies of God in his word are examples of loss and restoration, of failure and redemption, of oppression and victory. Those are the testimonies here. That encourage us. Those testimonies are delighted in by David as he writes this. Now think too, David is a king. A king knows about riches. A king knows about wealth. But David is telling us that God's word, his statutes, are more valuable to him than all the wealth and all the riches he has come to know. In verse 15, David says he does not merely read the word, he meditates. I will meditate on your precepts. We are to give God the opportunity and the time to speak to us. We can read and then what we have read, then we stop and consider what is God saying. I thought of an, an example of this. Uh, that many of us are familiar with. Take a father and mother of a newborn. They'll have that newborn and rock it in their arms and cuddle with it, becoming familiar, a, a sense of communication, right back and forth from child to parent. And then they'll take that child and put him in the bassinet to rest, to sleep, and they'll walk away. But they can't stay away. They come back. They look over the edge. 
And they look at the little fingerprints, the little fingernails. They look at the cute little nose and the ears, right? That is our posture with regard to God's word. We study his word. We become familiar with it. We meet with him. And even when we put it away, we come back to it in our minds in a meditative fashion and think about what has God said to me? What is his will for my life? In verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. Will not, I will not forget your word. David writes that to become familiar with the word, to spend time with God, listening to his direction, and to be taught and encouraged by it is a delight. The old English preacher, Charles Spurgeon, wrote, There is ultimately no delight found in anything less than that which God intended to be the soul's eternal satisfaction. We have in the word the message that God gives us that provides that eternal satisfaction. We will delight in his revelation to us. Let me close my part here with just a short personal testimony about all of this. In my life, there's been no teaching, no podcast, no television, no music, no movie, no radio, nothing that has had the lasting impact on my life and my spiritual growth as much as meeting with God over his word and having him speak to me through this. And I'm sure I'm not the first person you've heard say that. And I sat in those chairs, and before we had chairs, I sat in those pews and heard that from the front as well and from other sources. And I thought to myself, I need to do that. I need to do that. I need to do that. And there's always something that got in the way. Life just gets in the way of much of what we want to do otherwise, doesn't it? But there was a day... It's been a few years ago now where I made the commitment that I would spend at least a little bit of time in God's word every day. And that has grown to the point where that is an appointment I will not miss. I think that my encouragement to you is that if we get into God's word, we will delight in his testimonies. He will reveal himself to us. It's the desire of the elders and staff that we would all be hungry for, inspired by, and submitted to his word. And to do that, we need to get into it. That's my encouragement to all of you this morning. Josh. Thank you, Pete. Hi, everybody. I've been attending Fullerton Free for the past 20 years. Um, I have uh, been an elder for the past two. My family is, has been raised here, my two kids, and this is my community. Some of you have seen my struggles, and others of you have seen my, my joy as well. So it's a really a pleasure to be here uh, with you today. So um, we've been talking about how Christ has been revealed in this place, right? And as Pete puts so well, one of the primary ways that Christ is revealed is, is to us is through his word. So what's next, right? What happens when we truly see God? 
we're compelled to follow Jesus. We're Christians. We identify with and follow Christ. Our desire is that uh, that we as a community um, would be uh, revealing Christ in our culture. You know, this is so important because it's really talking about um, how we interact with each other. Have you ever been people watching? Does anybody do this? We all love it, right? When you think about it, it makes sense. It's so relational to observe other humans like, like us in their life. My family enjoys riding beach cruisers on the boardwalk at Newport Beach. The last time we did this, it was dusk, and you could actually see into the houses. You can, uh, if they're sitting in front, you could actually hear the conversations. And in a fraction of a second, you make this assessment about who they are, what they're about, um, and that's all you get. It's like quickly flipping the channel on the TV. As humans, we're so curious about each other. Kind of seeing and hearing just that fraction of a second really captures our attention like a reality show. Does anybody watch reality shows in here? I'm sure a few of you do. (laughs) There's so many out there, right? And I know, I know, it's not quite reality, but we can't stop watching them. It's, it's It's just something we do. And I know some of you in here, and I know some of the guilty pleasures, The Bachelor, maybe, uh, Housewives of Orange County, a few Below Deck fans. My, one of my favorites is Alone, which says something about me, I guess, but uh, that, uh, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, so guess I looked up the first reality show. Guess what it was? Candid Camera. Well, one of the first, I should say. If you remember that, that's dating myself. But if you're a sports fan, you're not really off the hook, right? If a fight breaks out, aren't you just captivated? One of my favorite memes even comes from a reality show. It's up here on the screen here. So many, so many funny ones. So don't worry. She worked it out with her cat friend. I looked it up. I Googled it. But but watching people and how they interact, it's relatable. It's influential. And oftentimes, don't we obsess about it? Most of the time, we're not very good at it. God knows this, and yet he still chooses to use us imperfect people to reveal himself. Isn't that mind-blowing when you think about it? We've been hearing our teachers walk through Genesis, and we've been people-watching. We're, we're seeing story after story of failed human experience and God's faithfulness to reveal himself despite them despite the people. Could you imagine a reality show about the people of Genesis and God's faithfulness? I think that's pretty interesting. I think what's unnerving for me anyway is that the people that we've seen in Genesis, their tendencies, it's not really too far from our own. We're not just bystanders in this story. We're continuing that story from Genesis. And we are the to-be-continued story. Just thinking about it for a second. If this were a reality show, we've all been cast and we're acting in a show called Revealing Jesus at Fullerton Free and the surrounding cities. We're filming season 66, episode 2880, maybe. Uh, The show description says something like, watch people in Orange County live life together to reveal Jesus Christ. What a fascinating show. 
Our cast includes a wealth of people, of personalities, of different talents. There's also a continuum of circumstances, thousands of circumstances happening every hour that each of us have. For this episode, who will ask for help? Who will serve? Who will argue to try to get their own way? Who will sacrifice what they have? And will they choose to use God's path or their own? <laughs> it's a show. We're in a show. No. If, uh, if Fullerton Free were a reality show, does today's episode depict us as angry and misleading, impatient or resentful, or maybe assuming the worst of each other? Are there scenes of uh, envy and people jumping to conclusions, attacking each other from afar, and trying to do all we can to look as good as we can from the outside? Isn't that every reality show on TV today? What would the episode look like when Christ is revealed in us? Maybe a culture of vulnerability and empathy, maybe humility, and hearing each other out, agreeing to disagree, reconciliation, love. It would have scenes of us delivering a meal for somebody who's struggling. Maybe it's texting somebody to say, hey, I'm at the store. Let me pick you something up if you need it. Or what about a close-up of someone feeling known and loved enough to safely confess their sin? Or maybe it's having the courage to say, I was wrong, or I'm not doing well. Thank God we've got his word to explain how this is supposed to work. How God continues to use us inadequate, awkward folk to be his hands, to build each other up. Christ is revealed when others see us interacting together and striving together and sacrificing for each other. This will glorify God. How can we know this? Because of his word. John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another people will know in a fraction of a second that we are Jesus' disciples if we have love for one another. This is the primary outward indication of our faith. There are other ways we reveal Christ, like upholding sound doctrine, but the way we distinguish ourselves from this world and these other reality shows that are going on is how we treat each other. In Hebrews 13, 16, it says this pleases God. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And John 15, 4 and 5 reminds us that we can't do anything apart from him. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. By God's design, he does give us free will, right? To choose our own path. He doesn't force us. 
he asks us to abide in him, to accept and act in accordance with him. Whether we accept it or not, we're on display, and we're participating in this show at Fullerton Free in these cities. Will we be revealing something? Of course we will. Our desire here at Fullerton Free is to reveal Christ in us, in our culture. One more scripture that I want to read together is Paul's template for love. And that's found in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, and verse 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Christ is revealed in us with how we relate to each other according to these words. But we can't do it on our own. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit. So to that end, I'd just like us together just to ask the Holy Spirit to prompt us in this moment. And so would you ask with me and ask this question, what character am I playing in today's reality show? Gracious Lord, our King, we humbly submit to you. We are desperate for you. Please help us imperfect people, your, your kids, your children, be sensitive to your leading and be aware of the characters we're playing here at Fullerton Free. Help us to be determined to reveal you with how we treat each other. Thank you, Josh. Good morning. My name is Gene Shepard. With my wife, uh, we started attending here in 2013, and I've been serving as an elder for the last two years. It's so good to be with you this morning. I love the topic that we're thinking about, Christ being revealed to us, in us, and by us. Of course, that probably lets you know that I'm here to talk about Christ being revealed by us. And uh, I, I thought of a verse of scripture that I thought was a great one to look at as we start thinking about this particular topic. I bet you've heard it before, but it goes like this. The book of Matthew, the 19th verse. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Have you heard that before? As a matter of fact, you probably learned it like me. I grew up in church. I learned this as a small child. I, I memorized it very soon. We actually called it the Great Commission. That's how it's known. I love this verse of scripture. It makes it so clear about who we are to be. We're to be people who are to be going about revealing Christ, making disciples, teaching, helping them to understand God's wonderful message of grace and love as revealed in the life and the work of Jesus Christ. 
it, it's a great commission and it really just encapsulates all that stuff. Of course, I also think when I got my first job as a minister in 1973, I was around 10 at the time when, <laughs> give or take a little, when that church hired me. They had a problem, and this is why they hired me, and this is what they said. We have a problem. We have no children in the church, or virtually none, maybe one or two, and we're going to die. We have no families that are capable of producing children, which maybe tells you a little bit about the age of that congregation, and we want to hire you to come in, and we want you to find children. We want you to find those kinds of families, and... It's the only time I had ever had an interview, and I thought when they hired me, I had to take the job. They didn't have a clue what they were asking me to do, other than the fact they really weren't saying, we're revealing Christ by us. We want you to reveal Christ for us, if you get the drift. They didn't have a clue what they wanted, and so they hired somebody who also did not have a clue as to what needed to be done. It was a really interesting situation. How we could go that far and that group of leaders not really understand the, well, the nature, the cooperative nature of what they needed to do as the people of God, I, I don't know. Particularly since it's not just in the book of Matthew, that great commission that you hear stuff about the kind of people we're supposed to be. I guess maybe I'm inspired by the Psalm 119, the Old Testament that Pete referenced. You know, if you look at that psalm, it's got an olive section and a bath section and a gimbal section. Well, that's Hebrew for an A section, a B section, a C section. And the whole idea is that you can talk about the word of God all day long. You can, you can talk about it with everything that starts with the letter A. You can do it with the letter B. There's just so much there. So I, I got to thinking about those verses of scriptures and those concepts that talk about who we are as the people of God, that by through our very existence and our very life, we reveal Christ or we reveal God and the way he wants to be known. Ambassador, I've heard Darren talk about that many times. We're an ambassador. We speak for God. We speak for Christ. He's empowered us to go and, and be a messenger for him. The body of Christ. We hear, hear about that. There's lots of passages that talk about the body of Christ. And that doesn't mean we're all the same part of the body. There might be eyes, there might be feet, there might be hands. There's different kinds of giftedness that brings us together and makes us one big body that together we can give an example of who Christ is and what he has on his agenda to accomplish in your life and in mine. The congregation in the Old Testament, it talks about the people of God like that. In the New Testament, it talks about the church, the, the ecclesia, the called out ones who are called out of darkness into light. People who move through this world as a living embodiment, an example of what God wants to accomplish. He's revealing himself and his plan and his purpose through his people, disciples. I love the passage that says, when a disciple is fully taught, he will be like his teacher. In other words, when you and I are taught, see us, you see Christ. You see Christ, 
you can see Christ in us. Christ revealed in us because we're disciples. The family of God. Adopted, grafted in, however you want to talk about it. Given life, quickened by the spirit. The family of God who now is not only brought into a new family, but but we have the responsibilities of that family. We have the agenda of that family. We have the family name to uphold and to give an example to in all that we do and all that we say. Herald, somebody who proclaims. We normally think of a herald being in the New Testament, I think. But I love the passage in Peter where he refers to Noah being a herald. We don't normally think of Noah being a herald. We think of Noah building an ark to save his family while the rest of the world is going to be destroyed. But Peter describes Noah as someone who is a herald of God's righteousness, suggesting that even in the end, as they were coming up to that close, that God wanted to reveal himself to people hopeful that somebody would listen also like the word holy. It's an Old Testament concept. It's a New Testament concept. It's related to righteous in the New Testament as well. My favorite example of holiness, and they don't even use the word holy. It's a story that's probably coming up next week or maybe the week after. And the guy's name was Joseph in the book of Genesis, sold down the river by his family. Uh, Many of them thought or maybe hoped he'd just die and be done with. They were tired of him. And yet he finds himself as a slave. And his mistress wants uh, to use his body for herself. And she threatens him and tells him, you need to do this or you're toast. I love that passage of scripture. He looks at her in the midst of his situation where nobody would know what he did. It didn't matter. Perhaps maybe his brothers would have quickly listened to that and done whatever they needed to do. But yet he stands up and says, how can I do this thing and sin against my God? I am a child of God. You can take everything else away from me, but you can't take that away from me. I am a child of God. And whenever I read that story and think of that story, it's, it's like when that happens, there's a great light that comes down and it's just so bright. You can hardly look at him standing there in his holiness, his righteousness, his purity. As he says, you can do what you want to with me, but I'm going to be a child of God. I'm going to reveal God. No wonder Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You remember that song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Remember that song? Hide it under a bushel. This side was really pathetic. You were almost okay. Let's do it one more time. Hide it under a bushel. Much, much better. I'm going to let it shine. Because in the shining, it's, it's like shining in a dark world. So people can see the way to come to the people of God. Because God has revealed his truth to us. Salt. Preserve, flavor, those are the kinds of things we're supposed to do as the people of God, to reveal God, reveal Christ. Of course, I, I didn't have time for a 10-minute sermon to get much farther than this on examples, but let's go down to W, the book of Acts, first chapter, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. A witness, someone who will stand up, the person of God, the people of God. We do it together. We stand up as a witness. 
And we don't just do it to Jerusalem, which would be in Fullerton, or Judea, which would be like Brea and Yorba Linda, or in Samaria, which is obviously Anaheim, or to the uttermost parts of the world, which is everybody else that needs to hear the good news gospel message that Jesus Christ has died to make it possible for our sins to be taken away and we be brought into that family with God. It's a wonderful thing that we've been asked to do to reveal Christ. So there I was in 1973. I had no clue what to do. I said, what's the budget? They said, what's a budget? What is it? After all, what is a budget? You know. And finally, I got a high schooler to kid to, to, to help me. And I started looking around. They said, you know, there's two or three families over here that maybe they would come to church. And oh, by the way, we do have a broken down old bus in the barn over here that maybe you could get that to work. Long story short, we started working and it was hard work. We lived, the church was in the wrong side of the town, the wrong side of the tracks, some really dodgy community areas. And, and yet we went out and we went out every week. We started making hundreds of calls, literally. And it was so interesting. Some of those kids that were helping me, they started saying, you know, I, I've got some friends. Uh, some of them come here and some of them don't, but maybe they, could they come and help? Yes. And, and there's, there's friends in their circle. And we started bringing in other people helping us and we started going out. When I say we went out every week, we went out every week. We made hundreds of calls. Maybe Christmas week, depending on when Christmas fell, we wouldn't go out. And maybe if there was two feet of snow, we wouldn't go. But that was about it. And other people started helping us. And somebody who was just a very... Hardly connected with the church at all, just rarely there said, I hear you're wanting to do this and I know how to drive a bus. Would it be okay? Uh, yeah, it would be fine. And we started bringing in people like that. People who wanted to, because of their love of Christ and the way that Christ had affected their life, who wanted to be able to do something that they could uh, reveal Christ to others. And other adults started helping us. And people say, well, you know, when you're picking up kids, maybe I could like be on the bus with them and start maybe teaching them and singing songs. And yes, you can do that. And helping us with the junior church and stuff like that we did after we got them there. And um, I love this. One person said, uh, this was so long ago. She said, uh, would you, could you use some cookies for this at all? I can't teach or anything like that. I can't go, but I can do cookies. Now, it was so long ago, the cookies had flour, sugar, and nuts in them. You can see how long ago that was. And, but I said, yes, we, we view those as a sacred gift. And yes, I like that. And you can even add chocolate chips to that. That would be fine. And, and one of my other favorite things that happened, I was talking with an old lady once. She said, you know, I was talking about what you guys are all doing and about bringing children to come to, to a lady in my, I don't remember if it's her bridge club or her lodge or something like that. And she's a good friend of mine. And she says, you know, my grandchildren live in that part of town and they really need to go to church. Do you think it would be possible to get anybody to go over and invite them and maybe pick them up? I said, yes. Thank you for letting us know about the people in your circle of influence. Thank you for talking about it. Thanking you for helping us find ways of reaching out to people. It was so marvelous to be able to do that. It was also interesting to me, and this didn't happen the first year, 
But eventually we went from 13 kids in the children area. And if I remember correctly, I think we had to pay a couple of second graders to attend to get that number of 13. We eventually ended up with about 130, which was quite a thing for such a small church in such an impoverished kind of a place. It, it was amazing to see when, when people work together and they, they work with those within their circle of influence, how God can bless us and use us in a way that, that makes a difference. Now, I don't want to give you the idea that everything was always hunky-dory and perfect. I'll never forget one day I was out calling and it was, I said it was a dodgy part of town and I was in a particularly dodgy neighborhood and so dodgy that some people just for fun turned their dogs loose on me when I was going to try and call on them. Now I survived by jumping into the back of a flatbed truck. I was unharmed, but my pants leg wasn't because the dogs got that. And I lay there for a while in that truck and I started thinking and I started kind of making a list of possible places where the guy who let those dogs might end eternity, you know. (laughs) And it was kind of a short list, actually. But the longer I lay in that situation, the, the more I began to think about the fact My commission is to go into all the world and to trust not just in the fact that I've been commissioned, but to trust in the fact that I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to go into all the world. And my job is to go. My job is to be a vehicle that uh, can reveal Christ and let the power of the Holy Spirit sort all the other stuff out. And I determined as a result of that, I, n- I never forgot that situation and the, and the fact that uh, I, I could not be afraid when I was out. And although I moved on to other ministries and other opportunities of service where I wasn't necessarily in dodgy parts, I would often be around people that I thought they're the last people in the world that would ever want to hear about Jesus Christ. Have you ever been with people like that? Do you know any people that you think, oh, there's no sense to even witness those people? Why would I even ask those people to come to church or go with me or even try to talk with them about Jesus Christ? Because I know there's no way that they'd ever want to hear that. I, I remember another time, I, you know, so I tried to get up and go every day thinking, uh, oh, Lord, use me. And so this one time that I'm referring to, I was out shopping for a car. I, I'm not a car guy. I mean, people say, oh, that's a 757XXL5. And I'll go and I'll go, no, it's a green car. You know, it's, that's, that's the kind of car guy I am. And, and I, I don't trust car people and I don't know anything about the lingo. And I always figure I'm going to pay too much money. And so this person... I bought the car, we're all done, spent 15, 20 minutes tabulating the bill. And he says, oh, I made a mistake. I charged you a dollar too much. And if it matters, if you don't want to pay the dollar, that's okay. I'll tear it all up and we'll take another 20 minutes and we'll fill it all out. I said, that is fine. I'm more than happy to pay the dollar. If you'll come and go to church with me on Sunday. Now, if I put a rose in my teeth and started doing the tango in the parking lot, he wouldn't have been any more shocked. But guess what? He showed up on Sunday morning with his mother. 
And I was almost as shocked as he was. And two or three days later, we went out for an hour lunch that lasted for two hours and 45 minutes. Talking about serious spiritual issues, questions he had about God. We, we had two of those such meetings. And then he, he had to move away to, to take another job real, real quick. He was here today, gone tomorrow. I sort of felt like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, we were brought together for a period. Of, I, don't, I wish I could give you the rest of that story. I don't know what the story was. But I am just so grateful that I was able to reveal Christ to him. That's my job. That's our job. That's our privilege. Uh, the group is going to come up and get ready to start playing for us. We're going to go into a time of response. Sometimes when I'm in a, thinking about this sort of thing, I, I think of people that I need to be praying for, that I need to maybe have a, a better, harder, better attitude. You know, it's, I had a bias towards those people. And it was a B-I-A-S. When we say Christ revealed by us, we mean B-Y-U-S. Not have a bias. The only thing we need to be focusing on is that God has called us to serve him as his people. And so if you need us to pray with you about someone, if you have something in your heart you need to confess or you want to someone to pray with you, you can. If you want to ask for more questions, come down front. Elders, uh, some of our staff will be down here this morning and we can spend time together focusing on the power behind us as the children of God.